You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. A special welcome to you this morning if you are new or visiting, or maybe this is your first time in a, a church building, or maybe the first time in a long time. We're just thankful that you're here. You don't need to believe anything to be in this place. Yet, the people who are here believe that Jesus did something in human history to make us whole and to bring peace, not only to our lives, but to our world. Uh, and so we turn to him because we believe he has the keys to life. Uh, and so we're thankful that you're here. Uh, a quick uh, announcement. Uh, some of you uh, may, may know this already, but um, uh, our condolences go out to the Hansen family. Uh, Paul, I know that you're here this morning. Uh, as Agnes passed away on Wednesday of last week, uh, and, uh, and so our hearts go out to you and the family. I want to let you know that a memorial will be planned, but it won't be planned until the new year, uh, and we'll let you know details about that uh, as they come in, and so, so bless you and your family. Uh, Stephen R. Covey, uh, maybe you know the name, Stephen Covey, he's uh, widely accepted as one of the gurus when it comes to leadership uh, and leadership development in particular. If you're a get-or-done kind of person, you've probably heard or read uh, some of his books, like his most popular, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. How many of you have heard that book or read, read that book? Well, Covey's recipe for success is summed up in one line from his book, First Things First. And he says this, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> That's the recipe for success. If you focus on the main thing and leave all of the non-main things alone, you'll reach your goals. And it's a pretty simple concept, but more than that, to me, it actually sounds like wisdom. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. But here's the million-dollar question. What's the main thing? What's the main thing for disciples of Jesus? like you and like me. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10, uh, where Jesus points us to an answer. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, it's in the pew Bible in front of you, or you can pull it up on your device. Luke 10. And I'm going to read verse 38 to verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? <laughs> Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to pray with me. Jesus, uh, this morning, we come to a text that, that maybe is familiar to some. Jesus, we come to a text that maybe for some in our midst, 
they've been labeled a Martha, and that has caused pain. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would reorder us to the fullness of life. No matter how you've made us, no matter how you've wired us, we believe you have the keys of life. And in this text, this short story of something that really happened, Jesus, there is a power at work. (laughs) And I pray that that power would be at work among us to draw us into the fullness of life that you have for every one of us, no matter how we're wired. And so, Jesus, continue to speak through your word, I pray this morning. Amen. And so we're, we're in this sermon series where we're looking at people who encountered Jesus in the Bible and how, how in, in their story we see what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple. And today we come to Martha's encounter with Jesus. And we learn about Martha at various points throughout the Bible. Uh, we learn a few things in particular. First, we know that Martha had two siblings. She had a sister named Mary and a brother named Lazarus. And and this family, they they pop up at various times throughout all of the Gospels. We know that Martha lived in Bethany, which was only a few kilometers away from Jerusalem. And it seems as though Jesus would often visit Martha and and the family there, uh, usually on his way in and out of Jerusalem. They were like family friends with Jesus. Uh, they got together on long weekends, that, that kind of thing. And we don't know how deep this friendship went between Jesus and Martha at this point in her story, but we know that Jesus has touched her life in some significant way. And we're told in the scripture that Jesus and his disciples are traveling, and, and Martha hears that they're passing through town. And so she insists that they come to her house. She, she wants to show them good hospitality. Now, for those of you who have heard this story before, you often know what comes next, right? Martha is scolded for being busy while, while her sister Mary is applauded for paying attention to Jesus. And all the Marthas of the world are told to stop being Martha and to become a Mary, right? Have, have you lived this narrative in your life? I know some of you have. I've spoken to you. But we can't miss this. Martha has just invited 13 people into her home. 13 hungry and tired men. I think she's a little crazy, let's be honest. The 12 disciples and Jesus. I mean, who does that? And mark this, there is no doubt that Martha knew the work that was involved in extending this invitation. And don't miss this. I have no doubt she was delighted to do it. Delighted to do it. In some ways, this, her act of service was, was an act of worship in a way. Given the opportunity, she wanted Jesus in her home to show her heartfelt appreciation toward him. That's what's happening in the story. Martha, Martha is the kind of person that every church needs. She's the kind of person that every community, no matter the community, wants. The kind of person that makes life better for other people. I think Martha would have been the person who shows up at your door unannounced with a pot of soup because she heard that you were sick. That's Martha. 
She's the kind of person who would sit up with your sick child just so you could get some rest. That's Martha. The kind of person who would drop what they're doing to change your flat tire on the road that you were stuck on. That's Martha. She's the person who would cheerfully say, yes, of course, when you ask for help to move from one house to the next. That's Martha. She's the kind of person who makes life better for other people. And I see in Martha this mark of discipleship that we, we often don't notice in this story. She has a servant's heart. And we can be sure that, that Jesus loved that about Martha. He, he put it in her from the very beginning. He loved it about her, her servant heart. In fact, right before this story happens, in Luke's gospel, if you look, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And paramount in that story is the theme of actively, actively loving and serving other people. And if we read what comes next after Martha's story, if we read through Luke's gospel, we see that it's actually leading to a climactic moment where Jesus demonstrates how he actively took on God's love and service toward the world as he hung on the cross. Martha had the servant heart of Jesus in her. We can't miss that. She understood what Jesus' half-brother James would later say a few years later when, when he said, faith without action is dead. It's dead faith. And maybe you identify with Martha. Maybe this text has actually caused harm in your life. But maybe you identify with Martha and you're a get-her-done kind of person. You like to serve. You, you like to take action. We need people like you in the world. People who follow Jesus, and they are willing to, to give their hands and their hearts in serving other people. And now, historians will tell you that, that modern-day hospitals, you think of the hospital, our, our healthcare system, even though it's broken, but, but modern-day uh, hospitals, their beginnings, historians will tell us, came from the Christian movement of the first century. As do many of the social services that, that we have in our society, like recovery homes and shelters for the poor. Hospitals, recovery homes, shelters, all of this good came through people like Martha. Martha. Let me say it again. We need more Marthas in the church and in our world. But... There is more to her story, isn't there? Verse 40. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. The text says that, that Martha was distracted Distracted by the many things needing done in order to host Jesus and his disciples, right? The house needed swept, the water needed fetched, the chickpeas needed shelled, the table set, the wine poured, the pot stirred, the bread cut, the candles lit, lit the dishes served, the wine refilled, the list goes on and on and on. 
And all the while, Mary is just sitting there somewhere maybe in the living room, and she's, well, not doing anything. You can just feel Martha's frustration, can't you? Especially if you're inclined to action. You can feel it. I can feel it. And so Martha brings her, her complaint to Jesus, which is interesting. She doesn't bring it to, to Mary. She brings it to Jesus, which indicates the kind of friendship that they had. And Jesus responds to her like a doctor with a diagnosis. Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. And in, in the original language, the word worried here means pulled apart. And the word upset means anxious. And see, Jesus, he, he sees in all the activity that there is something going on in Martha's interior world. She is pulled apart, and she is anxious. And that's often the diagnosis for all of us Marthas. There's so much to be done. There's so much to be done, and, and we need to notice that, that what needs to be done is, is often good. It's, it's often important. There's work to be done. There's office work and, and housework and schoolwork. There's children and, and grandchildren to, to run after with their activities and play dates and sports and parties and school events. There's books to read and meals to prepare and groceries to buy. There's Sunday worship and, and small group and book club and karate. There's strata meetings and, and parent-teacher meetings. And there's friendships to keep and, and neighbors to love. And there's exercise. And let's face it, that's the first one to go, isn't it? There's a lot of things to do, good things, important things, God-honoring things. And sometimes we, we feel like Martha in the midst of it all. We're, we're torn apart and we're anxious because of all the things. And maybe you feel that way today. And Jesus says to all the Marthas, women and men alike, he says, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Said another way, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Martha is on about many things, but Jesus points to Mary as a picture of the main thing. He says, Martha, look at your sister she understands something that you need to learn. In the many things, you've missed the main thing. Ouch. <laughs> I suspect that moment for Martha was uh, something that stung a little bit. And the fact that Jesus used Martha's sister to make the point probably stung even that much more, right? <laughs> But mark this, I think this is really important. Jesus isn't asking Martha to become Mary. He isn't asking Martha to become something that she isn't, something that she's not wired for, something that, that she wasn't made to function within. Jesus isn't saying, you know what your problem is, Martha? You're a type A personality, and you really just need to chill out. <laughs> You need to smell the roses, and you need to be more like your sister. Jesus isn't asking a Martha to become a Mary. 
Rather, he's showing Martha something that she's missing. He's showing her the thing that is missing, that's pulling her apart and making her anxious, something that her life really needs. He's showing her the main thing. And now, that's why he points to Mary. And, and, and we shouldn't miss this detail about Mary in the story. Uh, Mary is sitting there, and, and, and Mary thinks that she's a disciple. I know it sounds strange to, strange to say it that way, but, but Mary sees herself as a disciple, as, as a follower of Jesus. And now we know that because she is sitting with the other disciples listening to Jesus. She's sitting at his feet. That's what the text says in, in verse 39. Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet. And now this language of sitting at the feet of Jesus, it's an idiom in, in the Greek and Hebrew languages. It's an idiom for discipleship. Disciples sat at the feet of their rabbi. They sat at their feet to learn their ways. And we know this, when the Apostle Paul, later in the book of Acts, when he describes his upbringing in the Jewish faith, he says that he sat under the feet of a rabbi named Gamaliel. He sat at his feet. When you sit at someone's feet, you are the disciple. You're their disciple. So Mary, sitting at Jesus' feet, is telling us she thinks she is a disciple which would have been scandalous in Jesus' day. Women weren't disciples. It's the way it was. They worked in the home or, or in the family business, but that's the thing about Jesus. His invitation to follow me is extended to everyone. Jesus was breaking glass ceilings long before anyone else. And so... Here's Mary, and and she sat at Jesus' feet because she saw herself as a disciple. I wonder, do you see yourself that way? Sure, you're a father or a mother or a student. You're a nurse or an accountant. You're a basketball player or an artist. You're a Swifty or a believer. (laughs) We're a great many things, but do you see yourself first and foremost as a disciple of Jesus Christ? That seems important to me, the way you see yourself. And so Jesus points to disciple Mary, and she's sitting at his feet, and he says, here's a picture of the main thing. So what exactly is the main thing? What is the one thing that that, that cannot be missed? Well, in the text, Jesus actually doesn't tell us what the main thing is, does he? He simply points to Mary and he says, there it is. This is the main thing. That's it. But elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus tells us what the main thing is. One of those places is in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's the main thing. Notice Jesus says, come to me. 
Yes, Jesus also says, follow me. It's his invitation to join God's redemptive mission in the world. Follow me is Jesus' invitation to take action, to build for the kingdom, to be like Martha. But here he says, come to me, which is a different ring to it, doesn't it? It's much more personal. It's, it's much more intimate. Jesus is inviting us not simply to follow him, but to come to him. And what does Jesus do for us when we draw near to him? Well, he gives us rest for one thing. It's what the text says. He gives us rest from the tyranny of the urgent. He gives us rest from our anxiety. He, he, he gives rest to our souls. But he gives us more than rest. When we draw near to him, the text says, he gives us his yoke. <laughs> Strange, right? He's not talking about eggs here. I mean, what is a yoke, right? What is this yoke that Jesus has that he wants to give to us? Well, a yoke is, it, it was, was used to tie oxen together, right? This heavy wooden tool that is used for work. That can't be what Jesus has in mind, can it? Well, no, not exactly. A yoke was also something that, that a rabbi gave to his disciples. They were yoked together in a sense, and, and the disciple would learn from the rabbi by always being near, near them, always being in their presence. And so is this what Jesus is getting at? His yoke is his teaching? Take my teaching upon you, and you will not be pulled apart and anxious? Well, I think we're getting closer, but we're not quite there yet. What is Jesus' yoke? Daryl Johnson says, it is his relationship with the one he calls Father. Jesus is yoked to the Heavenly Father through a relationship of love. And that yoke is the reason that every word that Jesus speaks comes straight from the heart of his Heavenly Father. Jesus, the Son of God, is wearing a yoke of relationship with the Heavenly Father. And it's a relationship that is so pulsating with life that the relationship itself is a breathing, a spirit, a person, the Holy Spirit. It was out of that relationship that you were made, and it is for that relationship that you were made. This is the yoke Jesus offers us when we draw near to him. This is the main thing. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is communion with the God who made us and loves us. And it's Jesus who gives us access to this life-giving relationship. You are loved beyond measure. Before you were born, God had this idea of making something beautiful. And he, he fashioned you out of his own image. It's like he, he put a piece of himself in you, and he set you free to live in a good world that he made. And he loved us so much that, that when we broke his image and, and, and when our world went awry, he didn't leave us in darkness, but his love pursued us. 
And through the cross, he demonstrated God's great love for you and for I. Me. <laughs> the proper English. He wants more than anything for us to know the God who made us and loves us. And that is precisely what Mary is doing. It's why she is the picture of the main thing. She draws close to Jesus. She sits at his feet to learn from him. She listens to the very heart of the Heavenly Father. In the midst of the many good things needing done, we can't miss the main thing. The text says that sitting at Jesus' feet is needed in verse 42, that it's absolutely necessary. Why is it necessary? Well, because the main thing gives meaning to everything else. The main thing gives meaning to everything else in your life. You see, when we live into an intimate and abiding relationship with Jesus, and when we live from it, everything else that we do takes on a new purpose. Right? Our, our work can take on a new purpose when we live out of this relationship. Our work is no longer done in vain because now it is done unto the Lord. And our parenting, it, it takes on a whole new purpose because we remember, that the, main, uh, we remember the main thing and, and we raise our kids to know it for themselves. The main thing gives meaning to everything else. Taking time to sit at the feet of Jesus, it changes everything. It changes the way we make decisions. It changes the way that we spend our money. It changes the way that we treat our boss or our coworkers or the way we speak about them. It changes the way we order our lives. It even changes the way we see ourselves, our identity. Who we are is not dependent on how we feel about ourselves or how we feel about our body. Rather, who we are flows from the relationship from which you were made. It flows from the relationship for which you were made. And here's the truth that, that we all need to hear today. The main thing gives meaning to the many things. And without the main thing, the many things become aimless pursuits even a waste of time. And that's what Jesus wanted Martha to know. It's what he wants each one of us to know today. You see, the problem isn't that there are many things to do. That's not the problem. The problem is so often the many things choke out the main thing that the to-do list pushes our relationship with God to the periphery of our lives. Maybe that's your story today. John Ortberg has said, for most of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. The danger isn't that we'll renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And perhaps you felt that yourself. All the things have pushed the main thing aside, and, and life feels aimless. It feels a shadow of a time gone by where you once knew joy and peace with God. And so Jesus calls out to all of us, especially the Marthas of the world, even 
if it stings. And he says, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. And so how can we reconnect to the main thing? How might we reorder our lives to experience the fullness of life that Jesus intends for you today? Well, well, very practically, very practically, I think there are three things that we can do that I want to call you to. First, you can change how you see yourself. If you think first and foremost that you're a parent or an accountant or a student, then it's likely you will never... Uh, that, that you will you'll always end up putting those priorities first. But if you see yourself as a child of God and a disciple of Jesus, then you're more likely to keep the main thing the main thing. You can change how you see yourself. But second, we all need to find a time and a place that works for you in the unique rhythm of your life to plug into the main thing, into life with Jesus. We need a time and a place. There's no way around it. This is the hardest thing for most people. And so this week, you need to find your time and your place because we all need to make space to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. And there are, are time and spaces that we can put in our week. We can, we can make Sunday morning worship a priority. We can join a small group, or we can take 10 minutes in the morning a few days a week to pray, to find our, our own unique time and space. There's no way around it. We need to find it. And third, and, and there's no way around it. You don't want to get around it, <laughs> right? This is the way of life, and there's no shortcuts on the way of life. And third, some of us might need a kickstart into a new rhythm, right? Sometimes you, you need a kickstart. You, you, you need an intensive immersion. You, you, you need something to put your hands on that, that are going to help kickstart something new in your life. And so let me suggest two things as I close, two kickstarts. First, I want to invite you to our upcoming transformation experience in November, and it's called Live Full. And this is an experience that is intentional, it's intensive, uh, and it's interactive. And it's a time aimed at helping you live into the main thing, to live into your life with Jesus, to live a, a full life. And I think I've got, a, I've got a, a slide for that. I don't have a slide for that. Well, that's uh, too bad. Well, uh, it's November the 24th to, to... You can say it out loud, Rick. No one will mind. 23 to 25, so it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's evenings on Thursday, Friday, and on Saturday, uh, the, November 23rd to 25th. Mark it on your calendar. It's, it's a kickstart to kickstart your life with Jesus again. And second, I want to recommend Ken Shigematsu's book, God in My Everything. I've recommended it before. Maybe you've read it, but this book is profoundly helpful in guiding people to find a rhythm that is unique to your life that helps you keep vitally connected to God. Maybe it's time to pick the book up again and find your own way in following the way of Jesus. And so, disciples, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. So what can you change to live into it? Let's pray. 
Jesus, you reorder our lives. And when we hear your word, we know it's your word because it doesn't bring condemnation to our hearts. It brings freedom. And so, Jesus, for all those who maybe have been labeled a Martha in a negative way, I pray that you would break those chains. And I pray that you would give them freedom to live into the name that you have placed on each one of them. And it's a beautiful name. And that Jesus, as you set them free from the labels, that you would, you would lead them into the fullness of life that knows the main thing, that knows you. Jesus, for, for, for those of us in this room who, who feel like we've just been busy doing and we, we've had a taste of, of, of life with you, but, 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 but we feel far from that. I pray, Jesus, that today you'd be working in hearts to, to draw your beloved back into that place of belonging at the center of a relationship with you. And Holy Spirit, as we walk into our week, we pray that you would give us a vision for, for what it looks like to be disciples who sit at your feet, who listen to your word, and who hear the heart of the Heavenly Father. Jesus, we pray that you would love us this week as we tune our ear to you, and we pray. Amen.